Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to the Daily Evolver Live. It's Tuesday, May 5th, 2015, and I'm coming to you from my home here in Boulder, Colorado. I'm here, as always, with our multi-talented Daily Evolver producer, Brett Walker. How's it going tonight, Brett? Good. I'm happy to be done with finals. Yeah. Finished another semester. Another semester down at Naropa. Cool. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, We have a lot to get to tonight including a follow-up on the topic that I focused on last week, the upheaval in Baltimore, as well as the subject of race in general. I have a special guest, Justin Miles, who's from Baltimore. He's an integral practitioner, former member of the Black Panther Party, and a Buddhist meditation teacher. So does that sound integral enough for you people? He's a great interview, and I'm looking forward to talking to him. But before we do that, let me do just a little housekeeping and start by thanking you for following us over to our new home on Integral Radio. Of course, Integral Radio is a part of IntegralLife.com, which is the leading internet hub for the worldwide Integral community, as well as the home base for Ken Wilber and his latest work. Integral Life has just today announced two new web seminars that you might want to check out. They're producing them with one of our top integral business consultants, Brett Thomas, and they're called Real Success, colon, Making a Living Doing What You Love. And I think that's a worthy goal. So check that out if you're interested on IntegralLife.com. You can also find more of my work on my personal blog, DailyEvolver.com, where I post all the live podcasts plus conversations I have with other cool people and whatever else Brett and I run across that we think you might be interested in. The key mission for my work here is to use the integral lens, particularly the aqua lens developed by Ken Wilber, to understand current events, politics, culture, spirituality, and to use current events to further understand integral theory. To that end, I have some charts and graphs on my blog that you might want to look at, particularly a couple that I'll be referring to tonight, uh, the levels of development and the quadrants of reality. If you'd like to download those or take a look while we're talking, you can go to the dailyevolver.com homepage and click the theory tab at the top. They're right there. Okay, so let's get started. I, I wanted to start tonight by sharing a quote that I ran into this week that I liked, uh, written by Joe Klein, who's a columnist who writes for Time Magazine and other publications. And he said, quote, I've always thought that cynicism is what passes for insight among the mediocre. And I love that, actually. Let me read it again. He said, I've always thought that cynicism is what passes for insight among the mediocre. And I have to say that I have always been amazed, even a little kid, by the default tone of cynicism in most political discourse. I mean, you hear people, even in your own conversations, pundits on TV, talking about 
politicians and powerful people in terms of they're all just a bunch of crooks. It's all about money and power. Everybody's on the take. Everybody's on the make. While I recognize the piece of truth in that kind of thinking, because it's there, I've always found it to be shallow and demoralizing. It's almost like we're little children and we're taught that life has rules and everybody has to follow them and everybody has work to do and we all need to do our work well. And the implicit message in this is that life is fair and God's in his heaven and all's right with the world. And then we begin to learn at about eight or nine that not only does Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy not exist, but that actually the world can be quite unfair and people are often quite bad and selfish and that toy advertisers lie and that what flies out of my robot commando's hands are not really firebombs, but just cheesy little red plastic balls and nothing is really as it seems. It's like our bubbles burst at eight or nine <laughs> and we become suspicious of everything and we never recover. And I just think it's pervasive. And I think that integral theory gives us another way of looking at this. And, and this is where, you know, I, I, the, the part of his quote that I'm not crazy about is, is that it's, you know, cynicism passes for insight among the mediocre is the mediocre part. I'm not sure it's necessarily mediocre. I think it's from an integral perspective, it's just characteristic of first tier memes. And if you're looking at our levels of development chart, first tier memes are the first six stages of both consciousness and cultural development. So we're talking about the development of our interiors in terms of our individual development from little children up to adults, and also cultural development from early humanity up through modern day. And that all of the memes so far, each of them has a real strong idea of how the world should be. It has not just an idea, but an ideal. You add an L. Reality, as it is, never looks good in comparison to one's ideal of what reality should be. And this is, you know, a large part of the problem. And just looking at current events and current politics, the ideal for conservatives, and this would be traditionalists and early modernists, those are generally the conservatives, is a world where people are free to make their own associations. They're unencumbered by any but the most necessary government role. And government is just there to keep us safe, to provide police force, a military, and the courts to enforce the contracts that private parties have agreed to. And that's the conservative ideal. And everything short of this is corruption. So, then there's the ideal for the liberals, which is the later moderns and postmoderns, so the late orange and greens. And for liberals, the ideal is a world where the institutions of the public sphere, that is the government, which are not private, they're not profit-driven, that the government ensures that everyone has a baseline of security in terms of food, uh, housing, health, and the equal opportunity to pursue happiness. And everything short of that is corruption. You'll notice for the conservatives, the enemy is government, and for liberals, the enemies are the corporations, private institutions. It's an interesting how development 
uh, arises and emerges. But integral, at any rate, gives us another way of thinking about the world. At, and at integral, a wonderful thing begins to dawn on you. You begin to get hip to what an intellectual and emotional and spiritual straitjacket it is to have an ideal. You become post-ideological, in a sense. You see that life and thought itself and ideologies are evolving things. They're things that, like brains and bodies, become more complex and capable and intelligent and sophisticated over time. And what is new about integral, as we move into the first of the second tier memes, is that integral begins to see the fourth dimension. We begin to see and feel cellularly the dimension of time in history and the movement of history. And with that perspective of a big four-quadrant history, we see that each ideology of the first-tier memes is appropriate to the stage of development that it arises in, both individually and with cultures, and that each is limited by that stage of development, but that they have a piece of the truth, too. So again, at, at Integral, we become uh, essentially post-ideological. We become friends with life as it is, the world as it is, and we're no longer comparing the world as it is unfavorably to some ideal. And that's, I think, a huge relief because we see, if we look at history, that the structures are evolving to ever more good, true, and beautiful um, states of being. Even though they're not fully good, they're not fully true, and they're not fully beautiful. And they may never be, but they're more of that. And, and so then just to get back to this cynicism of the view that money is the thing that makes the world go around, yes, there's a piece of the truth there. And we can see that through history, that truth has evolved. And we see that in pre-modern structures of development, in pre-modern economies, where we're talking traditional uh, and earlier, what we call corruption is what they call the economy. <laughs> you know, in times before we had complex economic structures and legal systems, people scratched each other's back. You do for me and I'll do for you. In ethnocentric times, which is these pre-modern structures, they still exist all over the world. It's not about, you know, joining the global system. It's about working with the family, the clan, my people versus the others. It's about currying favor. And if necessary, in, in most pre-modern cultures, it's about who has pull with the big dog, whether it's the king or the queen or the master or mistress, whoever it is. And that's the nature of most of human history. At modern, we get this notion, this is an astonishing development, but we get this idea that all men are equal. Women come a little later, but you get the idea. And so it's not about who you know, it's about everybody gets a, you know, shot. Everybody gets an equal shot. That's the, the ideology, at least. That's the practices fall, fall short. 
But still, we get a great advance at this stage over patronage. We get the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy, we see it as the stultifying, slow, full of hoops to jump through, you know, where you take a number at the DMV and you fill out the forms and all the stupid rules and regulations. But let's remember that this is a huge human achievement, huge progress over having to, like a cringing dog, discern what the master wants, which was the nature of pre-modern economies. So this is progress. And then we get to postmodern economies, where we witness a radical move to transparency. We have more and more activity, uh, both economic and otherwise. It's seen and tracked uh, by computers. Uh, we move into sort of a post-secret, post-privacy world. We have Edward Snowden revealing the secrets of the NSA. I mean, even the government can't keep secrets. But still, we have, as we know from an integral perspective, all stages, you know, emerge, but they still include the previous stages. And so we have, uh, you know, the, one of the current scandals, and this is actually what Joe Klein was writing about on the column about cynicism. He was writing about this scandal that's arising around Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Global Initiative, where we have these big donors who are donating to the you know, this nonprofit fund that it's meant to do good in the world, run by the Bill Clinton. And what are they getting in return? What have they gotten from Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State? What might they get from Hillary Clinton if she becomes president? And so this is the nature of the scandal. Uh, if I donate to help buy mosquito nets, might I get a favor back? I mean... <laughs> It's not great, and we, you know, we want to go from there, but it's a higher-end scandal than uh, some of what we've been used to, where people are just lining their own pockets. And, of course, the Clinton's pockets get plenty lined, but it's very indirect. And, you know, this is just the nature of the beast as we evolve. And, of course, we see, you know, not only corruption in the sense of people going around the rules, but we say, see uh, a great arising of prosecution of corruption. So there's a counterforce that arises naturally. In fact, I saw today in the cover of the New York Times that the majority leader of the New York Senate is being criminally prosecuted by the feds for corruption. And I'll, I'll just read one short paragraph from the article. It said that this is Dean Skelos, the majority leader of New York Senate. Quote, he pressed a powerful real estate executive to provide commissions to his son, a 32-year-old title insurance salesman. He helped get him a job at an environmental company and employed his influence to help the company get government work. He used his office to push natural gas drilling regulations that would have increased his son's commission. So he worked to help out his son outside of the rules of the game. This is as old as the hills. And yet, they knew. And how did they know? Because they read his emails and listened to his phone calls, uh, all with a court order, of course. So, you know, we see a movement in history of corruption still there, used to be the only thing there, but now it's more and more mitigated by countervailing forces. 
that enforce basic rules of fairness, however imperfectly. So I take some comfort in that. All right. Well, this actually gets me to the other main topic that I wanted to talk about tonight, and that is a follow-up on the uproar uh, coming out of Baltimore, which was, again, I note, caused by a video that was taken by a citizen of a young man, Freddie Gray, being arrested and uh, his apparent uh, subsequent abuse, which was actually not videotaped. And, and if there were cameras in the van, we would uh, probably not be having this conversation. But unfortunately, there weren't, and we are. And this is the third or fourth instance in a row of African-American men, high profile, got all the attention of the media, being brutalized, African-American men being brutalized by the police, including being shot in the back in plain view of a camera, as is the case of Walter Scott there in South Carolina a month or so ago. So after my talk last week on the protests and violence in Baltimore, Corey DeVos, who's the editor of Integral Life and who was on the other side of the Integral Radio trying to make it work tonight. Thank you, Corey. Uh, but Corey pointed me to a powerful essay on this topic that was titled Meditation for Militants. Uh, and it was written by a member of the integral community, Justin Miles. And Justin lives in Baltimore. He is African-American. He was a member of the Black Panther Party. And today he's the founder of the Miles Institute for Integral Living in Baltimore, where he works with clients using a variety of modalities befitting an integral healer. Uh, he uses psychology, spirituality. He's a long-term Buddhist practitioner, meditation teacher in the Zen and Shambhala traditions. And Justin has what I think is a really interesting and very integral view on the situation in Baltimore and on race in general. And I had a terrific conversation with him yesterday, and I asked him if he would join me on the show tonight, and he agreed. And so here he is. Justin, are you there? I'm here, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Justin. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. I'm just relaxing after work and having dinner and doing homework with my daughter and putting her to bed. And... Great. And being with us. And being with you. <laughs> well, thank you so Hello, much. Hello, Boulder. Yeah, I appreciate you. Uh, so how's the energy and mood in our beleaguered Baltimore tonight and today? You know, relatively speaking, things seem to uh, have returned to normal. Um, people are back to work. The, the National Guard um, left, I believe, on maybe Sunday after the announcement that the uh, six officers were getting indicted. And so relatively speaking, things seem to be back to normal. Yeah. I can't say that um, I think anything is going to be you know, completely normal after uh, the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, I know that... Um, you know, I'm I'm still having conversations with um, with people about you know what now you know what happens now, and everybody is kind of in that zone of you know what's going to happen with of course the the trial and what to do with all this energy yeah. um, um, that's arisen around uh, Freddie Gray and um, just larger issues that I think that this is illuminated so. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and I mentioned earlier that what brought you to my attention was this 
powerful manifesto, really, that you wrote and publicized called Meditation for Militants. I think to give the listeners just a sense of where you're coming from, I, I want to just read a couple paragraphs from it. Can I do that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you write, In meditation, what is discovered is clarity, strength, and mental stability, qualities that all revolutions are based on at their core. When we see the mind as a tool of liberation that has no beginning or end, it is unbreakable. That is the mind of Marcus, Martin, Malcolm, and Huey. With that mind, we are focused on what is necessary, even if it is uncomfortable, scary, or different. With that mind, we will use this, and you're talking about the upheaval in Baltimore, as an opportunity to wage a protracted resistance to poverty, poor education, unemployment, underdevelopment, broken families, substance abuse, police brutality, declining mental health, and violence against ourselves and others. We will both shut down this city until it responds to our demands, and we will spend time building our society in a way that we think it needs to improve. Discover this mind with me, not as a means to stop our anger, but to genuinely experience and express our anger in a way that is useful. At the heart of our anger is wisdom. We must feel angry to get there. Once we expose the wisdom, then the question becomes, what are the best means for us to get our needs met? So that's powerful stuff, Justin. And I think I just start by asking you, gosh, what motivated you to write that? Yeah. I know we spoke about this a little bit yesterday. Yeah. And um, I guess it was born out of um, a couple of different things. One, uh, I think for some time I've been trying to reconcile um, what seemed like different uh, different aspects of my my experience, you know, my life. And, um, you know, I have the, the past of, um, and I guess the present as well, of being um, kind of revolutionary and, uh, and rebellious and, and thought and in practice, being a member of the Panthers, uh, and in general, just just paying attention to um, injustice, uh, just having this, you know, having this energy that something needs to be different, something needs to change. And it's not going to change um, if we're not in the face of it. We're not, it's not going to change if we're quiet about it, if we're hush-hush about it. Yeah. Whenever there's an incident like uh, Freddie Gray or Eric Gardner or Oscar Grant or Amadou Diallo, we can go on and on and on. There's a lot of um, energy and a lot of conversation around, you know, what needs to happen. And um, oftentimes, you know, the feeling is, well, we need to go out and we need to make something happen because this is just, you know, it's just, it's too much. Um, not just in the last, you know, year, you know, but in the history of this of this country, um, black people have been historically um, brutalized and um, murdered and oppressed and a whole bunch of other terrible words I could throw out there. And so there's a feeling of wanting to do something about them. Um, and at the same time, I have 
this part of my life um, that's been contemplative. Uh, there's this um, this motivation to look deeply into the mind and see what resides there and try and transcend um, whatever confusion that I find there, you know, to look as deep as possible and see what usefulness there is uh, in the depths of the mind. And and so, you know, I have this history of, of practicing um, Zen meditation and Shamal Buddhism uh, for the last 15 years. And um, so the two seem um, somewhat at odds, you know, mm-hmm. um, and when, you're, when I'm in different communities, you know, it's, it's difficult trying to navigate, <laughs> you know, trying sure. to, when I'm with the, you know, really, you know, pro-black conscious community, you know, there's the the feeling of, well, you know, you can't come from this contemplative perspective because then that seems soft and weak. And then when I'm with the, you know, the contemplative community, it seems like, well, you know, anger is not the way, you know, um, you know, the, the teaching, the, the, the Dharma teaches, you know, you know, a moment of anger can result in, you know, uh, innumerable uh, rebirths, you know, right. so, <laughs> so... Oh, please, like, I hope I, not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm screwed too. Yeah, <laughs> really, Jesus. <laughs> and so there's this, there's this feeling of, of how to reconcile the two of those things. And so, you know, I've been, I've been thinking for some time about um, meditation for militants, um, that somehow the two of these things are joined. I mean, these, these these two things aren't aren't separate. And um, it wasn't until last week, um, with the the uh, the energy in the city, that I decided that at least I would try and you know put this together in my mind, yeah. you know, and, and make an offering for anybody who was struggling with the same thing. Um, because I genuinely feel that there are those that see um, what's happened with. Um, Freddie Gray and and everyone else in in the recent past that's um, um that's been brutalized by the police. There's both the feeling of of a, a deep anger towards the mistreatment of black people, and at the same time, people see uh, the situations from multiple uh, perspectives. You know, they're attempting to try and still remain. Um, compassionate. Um, they're still attempting um, to try and um, see a way that doesn't involve just burning the whole thing down. Yeah. You know, they're trying to see some, you know, some way to make sense of it all. And um, so I decided to write some stuff down and make an offering. Um, but for a while now, I've really been looking at um, movements, you know, social movements um, that um, black people have been involved in in the last hundred years, and I realized that most of the movements have been um, have, have been focused externally. You know, they've been focused on trying to get something systemic to change, and that if we speak uh, speak up enough and we speak loud enough, that the um, the system, whatever that is, or the powers that do, whoever that is, um, will respond, and, and then they'll come and they'll make things different. Um, and I think if we take that approach, we'll be waiting for a very, very long time. And um, that there needed to be a movement based on something that um, couldn't be destroyed. You know, mm-hmm. it can't it can't be 
um, can't be co-opted. It, it can't be bought. You know, what kept coming up for me is um, the teachings, the, the, the Dharmic teachings on the nature of the mind, you know, and that that wasn't born, you know, that wasn't born. And so it can't be destroyed. Right. And so my, you know, my, my feeling began to be, well, if we somehow can uh, uh, turn our attention towards our um, our internal worlds, then we'll both find the strength to um, stand up in the face of injustice and stand up in the face of um, the injustices that we commit against ourselves. Yeah. You know, and we'll both will use that as the fuel for an um, an internal and external um, movement um, that can't be, you know, it can't be destroyed. The more we return over and over and over to our nature and trust in that, then the stronger that will be. Uh, and the, um, um, you know, I believe the more, um, the more whole the movement will be, yeah. you know, that includes, you know, that, that sort of transcends perspective, transcends and includes perspectives in a sense. That's what I love about your work and, and about what you wrote in the, Meditation for Militants uh, manifesto there is that you're dealing mm-hmm. with both the exteriors and the interiors. And from right. an integral perspective, they both are, you know, inseparable. They both have to be uh, online. And right. so let's just look at them one at a time here, if we could. I mean, in the exteriors, you're talking about, uh, let me see, let me see if I could find what you read you, or what you wrote. You said, let's act militantly in an unwavering stance against wildness, as if that fixes anything. Let us act militantly against being pulled into battles of the ego. And then you say, let us act militantly against the fear of resistance, against the issues in Baltimore City, whether that means shutting the city down, regardless of how long it takes, or getting arrested, or missing work, or getting hurt. Let us act militantly in our own communities to explore and serve the needs of others. That part about shutting the city down, I mean, we do note that what's really got the attention of the country was the death of Freddie Gray, to be sure, and some of the protests in the following week. But what really got the 24-7 attention was the violence. And we don't want that. But there's something in the middle there. There's something, and and you were talking about this to me yesterday, about that Martin Luther King, when he was killed, uh, was about to uh, initiate a poor people's movement that was designed to, you know, do nonviolent interference with the system as it was. And there's, mm-hmm. I'm very sympathetic to that. And I think there's a moral case for that in, yeah. in the sense that, yeah, you know, innocent people are going to get hurt and things are going to get slowed down and, and, you know, things are going to be disrupted and, and your comfort's going to be, you know, violated a little bit. But uh, on the other hand, it's just un fucking tenable to have this generational poverty and hopelessness and violence in these African-American communities in the country that is the most wealthy and, you know, advanced in the face of the planet. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, um, you know, I, uh, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, for any, 
for any, for any movement in this country to be successful, you know, we've got to go beyond our own, um, as I was saying yesterday, our own comfort, you know, um, and stop paying attention to the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the discomfort that comes from sort of the temporary pain of, again, having to, you know, having to miss work, having to be hungry, you know, having to be out in the, you know, in the elements, nothing's going to happen if, if we're not, you know, if we're not there and we're not, uh, and we're not present and not there just to be violent, not just there to burn, you know, burn things down. Definitely that got people's attention. But I think that we got the attention of, um, the world in terms of the civil rights movement, we got the attention of the world in terms of um, the black power movement in the sixties and the early seventies is that um, people were genuinely affirming um, just their basic human rights to just be treated as, you know, as a human, you yeah. know, uh, you know, I'm a man, I'm a woman, you know, I'm a, I'm a human, you know, treat me with some sense of dignity. Um, and that it's really, really hard to ignore a group of people who are just affirming their basic human dignity. Yeah. You know, um, the the right to not live in, um, in dilapidated communities, the right to send my children to, um, to schools, um, that have textbooks that have computers that, (laughs) that don't have lead in the water. That's a, an enormous problem in Baltimore city. Hmm. You know, there's just some basic human rights that I think that, if we're deeply concerned about these things changing, um, then we need to go into the depths of our humanity and say, you know what, it's okay to it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to be angry about these things, and it's okay to sit in the face of the police and the national guard and say, we're not moving until these these things change. Yeah. The city is going to be on standstill until these things change. Um, and that involves going beyond our comfort zones. That, that involves going beyond, um, in a sense, our, our current level of development. In, well, in and, saying, well, which mm-hmm. gets to the other side of the street, which is the interiors. Um, That's right. You know, for any chance of anything like that happening, the interiors of, of everybody, and we're talking the African-American community, individual African-Americans, uh, the, the culture at large, um, there has to be a movement forward in terms of expanding our circle of caring somehow. That's right. That's and what right. we're aware of. And what I love, again, about your work and about what you're doing is, you know, you're bringing a deeply practiced, you know, orthodox Buddhist, deeply transmitted transformational technology. And And my question to you would be, is it working? Are people getting it? How, how, what are you learning here, even in the last couple of weeks, about how this part of it needs to go? I mean, what do you have to say about this, Justin? Um, I think what you said in terms of like expanding our circle of caring, that that's, that's definitely been um, something that I've seen in the last couple of weeks that's happened, that people, you know, people are really um, just you know, really displaying their, you know, just their basic sense of goodness. You know, everyone is, I, won't, I can't say everyone, but uh, uh, many people are um, are looking for ways that they can be more helpful, looking for ways mm-hmm. that they can touch into people um, who don't seem to be, um, and be heard on a normal basis, to be felt on a normal basis. Um, people who live in communities where, 
you know, even the people in those communities don't want to be in those communities. You know, so they're trying, right. you know, they're, going, they're going into those communities and saying, well, what do you need? How can I help? Um, and, um, and I think that that's, you know, that's really been a lot of the energy that I've seen. And I think that that's, again, I think that that's all good. I think that the, again, the missing piece of that, um, is, is that those efforts, um, uh, no matter how, you know, good natured that they are, um, may end up just being temporary, you know, it's like putting a, putting a bandaid on a broken arm, you know, we gotta, we gotta look at the broken arm and we gotta be willing to feel the pain of the broken arm. And I think that's my, that's probably my biggest concern again, is that we're, um, we're not, we're not sitting with the pain long enough. You know, we get, we get the indictment of, of the six officers, um, all of a sudden, everything kind of calms down. They go back to normal. People can be out on the streets again after 10 o'clock. And, you know, things are back to, you know, back to business as usual. Um, but I think that we can, again, that there's no, there doesn't have to be a separation between um, those two, those two energies. In mm-hmm. fact, I, I do, I do think that um, that caring and concern that we see is, is a part of um, the, um, the the nature of anger, you know, it's the it's part of the usefulness of anger, you know, wanting to to go out and um, and expand this, you know, this feeling of of wanting to um, to improve things in Baltimore City. Um, the other side of that, I think the the uh, the the part that maybe that we're not seeing is the aspect of um, needing the anger in order to go beyond the anger, (laughs) you know, that we need, we, we need it, you know, um, and we don't need to see it as something that's not useful or something that, um, somehow we, um, you know, we feel bad about, we, you know, we, we shouldn't feel, um, I say, no, screw that. Let's, let's feel that, you know, let's use that. Let's, let's go with that. Let's use that as our fuel. Well, and that's a deeply spiritual practice. That's transmutation, where yeah. you literally find the wisdom uh, aspect exactly. that's in that's always embedded in anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, we're getting on to the end of our time here, and uh, but I do want to ask you. Um, so here we are on this call. You know, a lot, of, a lot of white people, a lot of you know, good, huh? good liberals here. Um, uh-huh. What do you wish we knew about the African American experience perspective that we don't, uh, or what could we do to help or stop doing? Uh, what would you have? Mm-hmm. You know, how can you help us be more helpful? Right, that's a good question. Well, you know, I have um, people in my in my circle. You know, people that I call brother that I call mentor, um, that I call friend, um, people that I consider to be related to, um, that are not of my race, that are white. Um, and they're my heroes, Hmm. you know, you know, I allow them to, to teach me and they allow me to teach them. And, um, I think that, um, I think that we all could kind of, we could go for that. We could, you know, um, spend more time um, doing a lot more listening, not to um, what's put out there in the media or, um, you know, popular ways of uh, receiving um, cultural information about a group of people. I'm going to actually spend time with those people, 
um, and again, looking into um, the humanity of um, of black people, in a sense, putting yourself in in a black person's shoes, mm-hmm. um, and not that um, all of, all black people are the same. Again, it's you know it's it's, it's the same with um, with anyone that we all exist um, at different stages um, of development, but. Mm-hmm. Um, spending spending time um, with that that seems um, other, you know, allowing um, the experience to wash over you and to challenge you and to you know put yourself in in our shoes, so to speak. I've often thought um, that um, you know there are plenty of um, of white heroes and sheroes. Um, that oftentimes, you know, that, uh, you know, they get, you know, they get overlooked, you know, like America is really big on, you know, the founding fathers and, you know, the, uh, you know, the kind of the self-created history of the country that says that these were the greatest, you know, these are the greatest of, of white Americans that ever existed. But seeing um, the heroes uh, in the white community who, um, who spoke out for, um, for the rights of all people, or that you know, did things to you know to to better all people. Um, I think would also um, go a long way. I guess also being you know being being present, you know, whether it's the you know the protest or um, whether it's at um, you know in um, um, in a, a community that is close to you. Um, but being present in whatever um, whatever organizations or whatever institutions are there um, that are um, working towards um, um, improving the conditions of um, of, of African American people, um, I think that that would go along that would go a long way. Yeah. I really think that white America only listens to white America. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I think that um, um, that uh, you know I, I've, I've I've come across uh, a few um, white folks during the last couple of weeks that were kind of afraid of what was going on, um, as if this were strictly a, a racial a racial thing. Um, but it wasn't a, it wasn't really just a racial thing. You know, this was more um, systemic. I want to say either three out of the six or four out of the six police officers, they were African-American and the media has been very, um, you know, they've, uh, they've done a good job at highlighting the fact that the police commissioner is black and the mayor is black and most of the city council is black. And, you know, so it's like, it can't be a racial thing. Um, and I, I kind of beg to differ on that too, but. Which uh, is, you know, what you were, were saying that to um, drink up the, perspective of the other and, yes drink up you know, the perspective of the other and you know there's there's the good old buddhist practice of exchanging self for other it's a you yeah, know tonglen. It's, yeah tonglen a, a, a venerable spiritual practice and mm-hmm. um you know i think that it's good instruction for us at this time so thank you so much uh justin your your writing and in, in your in your your message and transmission here tonight is really powerful really so much appreciated and i'd love to stay in touch and hear from you as this story will continue to unfold as it surely sure. will 
So uh, thank you, Jeff, for, for having me on the show, and thank you, Corey, and thank you, Brett. Um, I appreciate it. Um, again, I just want to encourage everybody out there to, um, again, get involved. You know, America, um, America listens to you, you know, so get involved. And, um, you know, the more people out there um, that um, can kind of see deeply uh, into um, into the pain with an open heart, you know, the more likely that, uh, that things, it's more likely that things will change. Um, but, you know, don't hide, you know, and don't, you know, don't think that, uh, um, that it's not okay to be upset and be angry, regardless of who you are and where you come from. All right. Thank you again, Justin Miles. Um, You're welcome. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care, Justin. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Um, thank you, um, everybody. And, um, and Brett, do you think we have time for our questions? We have a couple um, recorded questions. From the speak pipe. Yeah, well, considering we got kind of a late start, I think uh, everyone would be happy to indulge us if you want to do it. Yeah, cool. Well, you know, I, I always love hearing from you listeners, and you can contact me by email at jeff at dailyevolver.com or on the homepage of the dailyevolver.com website, you'll see an orange button that you can press that where you can leave me messages by voicemail. And I get a lot of those, and I love them. And we got a couple the last week or so that, um, well, I think Brett just play them, and I'll respond as best I can. Okay. Do you want to play one at a time? Yeah. Just play first, and then we might go to the second quickly, but let me have a moment in between. Okay. Hi, Jeff. This is Suzanne, and I'm calling from Asheville, North Carolina. I love your show and listen every week with my partner, Evan. My question has to do with um, astrology and integral theory. A friend of mine asked me to talk a little bit about why I dropped astrology shortly after um, starting to study integral theory. I sort of ignored the question for a while and thought about it for a few years. And now I'm trying to articulate it. You know, essentially, it's because astrology is a typology that fits into the integral framework, but the integral framework cannot fit into astrology. That's one reason. Um, another reason is that I wanted to transcend the purple magic mythic level the enchanting level that astrology, where astrology is located and um, do my work in the world in a much bigger way. But I'm trying to explain it to a person who uses astrology in her daily work and really loves it. And I don't want to hurt her feelings. And she's located in the green wave and um, she's having a hard time understanding what I'm talking about. So I just thought maybe you could shed a little light on that. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, let's, let's just go right into the next one. And then I think I can uh, respond to both at the same time, Brett. Okay. Thanks, Suzanne. I had this several day cleansing experience one time that included hallucinations, visual hallucinations. I was sitting in my dark living room and I saw a bunch of 
of creatures about the size of cats, and they were like stick figure animals that walked like insects, and they were marching around the periphery of the room. I don't think they were physically there, but I've always wondered if they were energetically there. Um, didn't scare me. Genpo Roshi had said, nothing wrong with hallucinations as long as you don't attach to them. So I just let it all go. Happened a couple of times that week. And that was from uh, Mark, a listener in, I believe, Tennessee. Uh, so yeah, those questions both get to an interesting issue that we deal with, and I think Integral helps us to see. And that is, you know, how do we relate to these things that are, it's like Mark said, these are, you know, he sat there and watched the cat-sized insects walking around his room. And as, as he said, the question was, you know, are they really there or are they energetically there? And this is, uh, again, to use the um, polarity that uh, Justin and I talked about earlier, it's the interiors and exteriors. We can have all sorts of insights that are real. We can see all sorts of things that are real and important and meaningful in our interiors. But would they be picked up by a video camera? Well, that's another question. And that's, you know, are they happening in the exteriors? And this is true of a lot of claims that are made, uh, certainly by religions, whether it's that Moses parted the Red Sea or that um, my perfect yogic master walked through walls or can levitate. Um, I get that we could have the experience of any of those things, but would they, are they actually ontologically real? That is real whether we believe in them or not. That's another question. And that gets back to Suzanne's question about astrology. And I love what you said, Suzanne. You said that astrology is a typology. Um, that's one of the things that human beings have been very good at, even way before we were technologically competent in the exteriors. We understood each other. We understood personalities. We, we were deeply, deeply, as we have always been, we're students of each other. That's what we human beings do. And so we realized that, yes, people come out of the womb differently. And we have different antenna, and we have different ways of processing information, and we have different ways of feeling and responding to circumstances. And uh, they're just there. I mean, any parent who has more than one children marvels that, you know, I did the same thing with this one. We're living in the same house. We're in the same city. And they're completely different people. They, well, they came out that way. That's the karma of, of us. And our karma actually arises in patterns. And so, you know, we have the Enneagram. We have Myers-Briggs. We have astrology. These are all maps of the different types of patterns that human beings arrive with, the different gifts, the different blind spots, the different things that light us up and turn us off, and that they're, that they're there. Uh, now, the question is, 
Are they related to the planets and the date and time of our birth? Well, that's a different question. And that's a question, this is why we have science. Science forces us to filter these claims through the um, lens of, again, would a video camera pick it up? Are these ontologically true? And oftentimes they're not. People actually, there's no videotapes credible of people levitating or walking through walls or parting seas or walking on water, none of that, or statues crying or any of the things that we find that people believe in, in the exteriors when, first of all, it's not proven and we have to note that. And two, it's not necessary. Things can exist on the interiors and be completely relevant and important and meaningful just in those terms. So, um, Suzanne, I would encourage you to, um, as I think you are, find whatever meaning you can find in astrology. Um, I love what you said about, uh, you know, the thing that ultimately got you out of astrology was that you realized that while astrology fits into the integral framework, the integral framework doesn't fit into astrology. That's for those of us who want the biggest possible picture, only integral will do because it includes everything. And also Mark, you know, you, whatever you can find from those cat-sized insects, uh, you should have conversations with them, see what they have to say. All of that is good, uh, but don't expect, and I know you don't, uh, the rest of us to believe that that happened ontologically. So we can have both. This is one of the great things of Integral. All right. Well, I thought I might end with a poem. I got this poem today from a listener, Jorge Manuel Soto, who's a, a faithful listener and a, and a friend. And it relates to this uh, idea of growth and development and eros itself. And, of course, this is a fundamental premise and property of, of integral, the integral view, is that the whole world is evolving, growing, developing. And it sometimes seems mystical, schmistical, and overly, you know, mystified. Uh, but um, there's a very simple way of looking at it. And I think this poem really gets to it. And it's a poem by a woman named Terrace Sophia Moore, M-O-H-R. And the title is, Sometimes Growth is Just Seeing It Sooner. Sometimes growth is just seeing it sooner. You see sooner that you are silencing your voice. You see sooner that you are acting out of fear. You see sooner that you are projecting the past onto the present. You see sooner that you are the one acting crazy, not them. Because you did the work, you see it sooner. Until our last breaths, we keep missing the mark. We will dim our light and betray ourselves. We will cause harm to those we love. But if we stay awake, we can learn to course correct sooner. Stay awake and you might see it this year and not let it extend for a decade. Stay awake and you might see it this week 
and not let it extend for a year. Stay awake and you might see it this hour and not extend for a week. Stay awake and you'll receive and you'll receive those moments of grace, those crystal ones, when in the instant, before the first choice, before the first word, the first act, you will catch it right at the moment of its beginning and choose differently. The turnaround is the most important part of the flight path. When you make it, you move the whole world forward. You plant a seed of love in the ground. And all those who come after you, thank you. And thank you, Tara Sophia Moore. Thank you, Jorge, for sending me that poem. And um, thank you all for listening to another installment of the Daily Evolver Live. Uh, it's a great privilege to do this, and I thank you for listening and responding. And um, I encourage you to have a good week, and we will see you again, same time, same station, next week here for another edition of the Daily Evolver Live. Thanks, folks. Thanks, folks.